Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Welcome in to Outkick the Show. I'm your fearless leader, Clay Travis. I hope all of you are having fantastic Tuesdays wherever you are and that you had spectacular President's Days yesterday. Um, I am back home, back home for the next couple of weeks. Glad to be back home. Space the past couple of months. I've been in Australia, Las Vegas, Miami, uh, now down on uh, North Florida, uh, probably other places. Oh, Houston for the national championship game. I am glad to be home for a couple of weeks. I've got money to make for you. We got a lot of topics to dive into. College football playoff uh, officially determined what the 12 team will look like. Um, NBA All Star game. Everybody's finally sounding like your boy when they talk about it. Uh, what in the world is Nikki Haley doing? NYPD dance team. Uh, Jewish voters breaking for Trump. Barkley goes off on San Francisco. Nick Saban Senate numbers uh, in the state of Alabama. And why will they not actually release the names of the shooters in Kansas City? And why are they not being charged as adults? We will discuss all that and more. But we begin with me making all of you some money. Prize Picks, America's number one fantasy sports app, over 3 million members. And unlike other apps on Prize Picks, it's just you against the number. No sharks or competitive leagues out there. All you do, pick more or less on two to six players out there, stat projections, watch your winnings, roll in. You can win up to 100 times your money with as little as four correct picks. You can turn 10 bucks into $1,000. Quick withdrawals, easy gameplay, enormous selection of player sports stat types makes uh, prize picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. And I have got winners, winners, winners for all of you right now. Tonight, I believe this is, correct me if I'm wrong, a 7 p.m. Eastern tip. The University of Tennessee on the road against Missouri. Tuesday night, college football down the stretch here as March Madness gets closer. I love college basketball. I always have. And I've got two winners for you. I'm going more on two different player props for the University of Tennessee. One, I love this one. Jonas Adu, six foot eleven, stud center, SEC player of the week. He's gonna score more than eleven and a half points tonight at Mizzou. And Dalton Connect going to be, I think, first team All American, playing very, very well on the road overall. Mizzou, not a very good team. I think Tennessee wins this game. But I like Dalton Connect over more than 21 and a half points. And I like Jonas Adu more than 11 and a half points. Boom. You hit on both those. You win. You also get, if you go right now, prizepicks.com, use my name, uh, Clay, you get $100. You get a $100 match. You can also use the code OUTKICK, whatever you like. First deposit match up to $100. I'm giving you $100 if you go to prize picks. Use the code OUTKICK. Code OUTKICK. Deposit match, $100. Pick more, pick less. 
it's that easy. Adu, Jonas Adu, more than 11 and a half, and Dalton Connect, more than 21 and a half. Maybe you're sitting out there and you are in California. You're in Georgia. You're in Texas. You feel like you're left out. They just went live in Tennessee where I live. Go use that code OUTKICK. Go use that code CLAY. Whatever you want to use, you get 100 bucks. You put in 100 They double your money, and I'm going to give you two winners. We'll check and see how we do on that tomorrow. Okay, that's right off the top. College football playoff, they have now officially set a 12-team playoff, uh, what the, the, the schedule is going to look like. I'm against it, all right? I want to be straightforward, transparent, and clear. I think they are screwing this up. They are giving five conference champions, five conference champions automatic bids. SEC champ, Big Ten champ, ACC champ, Big 12 champ, and the highest ranked power non-Power 5 conference champ. Last year, that would have been Liberty, okay? And then they are taking the next seven highest ranked at-large teams. They're overly complicating this. They are needlessly complicating this. Here's what they should do. Top 11 teams plus the highest ranked non-Power 5 champion. That's all they need to do. Don't overthink this. You already have the college football playoff rankings. What you're going to end up here, and I'm telling you exactly how this is going to go, you're going to end up with some 9-4 and four champ in the Big 12 that isn't even ranked in the top 20. You're going to end up at some point with some 9-4 and four ACC champ that's not in the top 20, and they are going to steal a bid of a more deserving team. I also don't like, why, did, why should a conference champ get an automatic buy? Why should the Big 12 and the ACC get an automatic buy when their conference champs are going to be nowhere near as good, typically, as the conference champ in the SEC or the Big Ten. Give the four highest-ranked teams at the end of the season a uh, a buy, right? Don't make them play. And then take the top 11 and the highest-ranked non-Power 5 conference team. They then get a bid. Then you just look at it. You say the top 11, the 12th team is getting screwed. Honestly, the only reason the non-Power 5 team is getting in is because they're afraid of getting sued for antitrust violations. But they're making this too complicated. As a result, you're going to end up, I'm just predicting this, you're going to end up with a top 10 team that is not going to make the playoff. And you're going to look at it and say, wait a minute, they're way more deserving than somebody else that is out there. And everybody's going to look around and say, why in the world is this happening? They are needlessly complicating this. Take the top 11 and then the highest ranked non-Power 5 conference team. Top four teams get buys. Don't give rewards to the conference champions if they potentially don't deserve it. Look, the SEC champ and the Big Ten champ are probably going to get uh, uh, a buy no matter what, right? They're probably going to end up in the top four. It's unnecessary for them. But why in the world would you not just give the top four teams a buy? This doesn't make any sense to me. The Big 12 and the ACC, many years, I'm just putting this on the record, are not going to deserve a buy and will be the underdog when they play in the second round. This defeats the entire purpose 
of seeding in general to allow teams to get a bye when they otherwise wouldn't deserve them. So I'm not second-guessing this. I am first-guessing this. They are making this needlessly complicated. They are screwing it all up. I don't know how many of you watched the NBA All-Star Game on Sunday. It was the second lowest-rated NBA All-Star Game of all time. And I'm starting to see, it took a long time, a lot of people out there tell you what I have been telling you for years, which is Adam Silver has destroyed the NBA brand. And he's done it in conjunction with LeBron James. I grew up in the NBA action is fantastic universe. In the 1980s, and certainly during the 1990s, No one was a bigger fan of the NBA than me. Even into the early 2000s Kobe era, and even including the LeBron James, I'm taking my talents to South Beach era, I really loved watching the NBA. They had May and June when nothing else was going on. I would watch the NBA playoffs every night. I would stay up late. I used to love watching the Phoenix Suns back in the day. Steve Nash, Amari Stoudemire still was upset about Steve Nash getting hip-checked by Robert Ory into the scoresman. I'm a scores table. I'm an NBA guy. They won me over. I started watching the NBA before Jordan won a championship in the late years of the Pistons. Some of you out there listening to me now big fans of the Lakers and the Celtics back in the day. You came in in the 80s. The point is, the NBA worked hard to entertain all of us in the 80s and the 90s and the early 2000s. Fans were beloved by NBA players. Now the only time you hear about NBA fans is when NBA players complain that they're saying mean stuff to them and they get them kicked out. I am always going to be of the era that I grew up in. And I think it was a better version of the NBA. I remember going, only time I ever got to watch Michael Jordan play basketball in person was at an exhibition game at Memorial Gym at Vanderbilt University. Uh, The Chicago Bulls came and played. I think I was like maybe a fourth or fifth grade kid at the time. And Michael Jordan played in the exhibition game. And I remember an official called him for a travel on a breakaway dunk. And I remember my dad said, that official's never getting to call another game in the NBA. Crowd went crazy, but they called Jordan for a travel. Jordan played hard in the exhibition game because he knew the 15,000 people who were there, many of them young kids like me, would never otherwise be able to see Michael Jordan play a game. I grew up. Oftentimes, we had seats high up at any sporting event that I went to. And as the game went on, we would look and see which ushers looked like they weren't paying attention. And my dad would try to sneak us down closer to the field or closer to the court. A lot of you out there know that feeling where you get down and you sit in seats that aren't yours. And as those seats start to fill up, Every time somebody walks down the row, you hope that it's not the people that have the actual seats that you're pretending are yours, right? That's the era that I grew up in. I talked about this before. I once sat in the absolute upper deck of Rupp Arena when 
Tennessee lost by 60 points to Kentucky. The final score was something like 102 to 40. We stayed for every minute of that game. And I was at the absolute upper deck with my dad. And my dad wanted Tennessee to hold the basketball to keep Kentucky from being able to go over 100 points. Okay? I have sat in the upper deck of every stadium pretty much that I've ever been to. I've sat in the seats in Neyland Stadium where you can see the Tennessee River from. You are so high in the sky, you might as well be in an airplane or on a blimp. That's how high up in the air I am. So I'm always thinking about myself as a kid. And if I were a fan of an NBA team now, and I got to go to only one game, which very well might be the case, and my favorite player decided he was going to sit out for load management, I would be utterly crushed. Some people out there say, well, that happens in baseball. Yeah, they play 162 games. And a player, if he's healthy, never sits out for a whole series when a fan base is able to come watch a team play in a city. You might only get one opportunity to watch your favorite player play, and you shouldn't have to look at the schedule and see what the whole, is it the second day of a back-and-back? How many games in a row are they going to be on the road? Let me try to analyze the percentage chance that my favorite player should show up. No, I think Charles Barkley's got that one right. Barkley said a while ago, if you're healthy and you sit out, you should have to go get on, sit on the concourse and sign autographs and pose for photos for the whole time that you are there. And I bet players wouldn't sit out very often if they had to sign autographs for two and a half hours and pose for photos on the concourse for any fan, particularly young fans, that wanted to come by. Adam Silver has allowed the NBA brand to be destroyed. In the 80s and the 90s, you go back and watch kids out there say, oh, it's just an all-star game. Nobody ever cared. Jordan cared. Magic Johnson cared. They let him play with HIV. Uh, I mean, guys were willing to... The guys were like, wait, I don't know if this is a good idea in the early 90s. Should we really let Michael, uh, should we really let Magic Johnson play? He's got HIV. I mean, like, th- that's how much people care about the All-Star game. And if you go back and watch the way that they played, even in the early days of Kobe, they would play defense. They weren't going to allow somebody to score 200 points on them. And this is emblematic, I think, of Adam Silver destroying the league. And nobody, nobody wanted to say it for a long time. Now you're suddenly seeing all these sports media types crawl out of the, uh, of the recesses and they're like, actually, this game sucks now. And it's not just me. Second lowest NBA All-Star game of all time. Only 5.3 million people watched. 4.5 million, I believe, last year. And as a part of that, over 20 million watched back in 1993. So you're talking about losing 80% of the audience. And meanwhile, people are like, well, the uh, Pro Bowl stinks. Yeah, Pro Bowl's always stunk. You can't play football halfway. Major League Baseball All-Star Game, I think, is fine. This was and used to be a signature event of the NBA, and now they're trying to create in-season tournaments that nobody pays attention for. And I am giving you a prediction right now. Whoever buys the NBA rights, Amazon, Apple, ESPN, 
uh, whether it's going to be uh, uh, NBC, TNT, whoever it is, it's going to be the most overpriced and the worst sports television deal that has ever been signed. Because as bad as things are right now, think about this. That's still with LeBron in the league and Steph Curry in the league. Almost all of the best players now are foreign, and that can be good for the NBA's global brand and more credit to them for finding the best players out there. But Giannis, Luka, Jokic, the best players being foreign doesn't connect as well as Magic and Larry did or Michael Jordan did. It's just a reality. And the numbers are continuing to decline in a significant way. And as that occurs, uh, this is uh, this is really interesting as all of this shakes out. Um, so that is what's going on there. Um, and I think the NBA is going to have issues going forward. The most interesting and viral moment of the NBA All-Star Game, interestingly, was actually... Charles Barkley saying San Francisco is filled with homeless crooks now and you got to wear a bulletproof vest when you walk around there. Now, it's funny because the All-Star game in 2025 is going to be in San Francisco, but what Barkley is saying is emblematic of what happens when you allow left-wing cities to be run by one party. They fall apart. And look, I love L.A. I've spent a lot of time in L.A. The three cities in America that I've spent the most time in in my life are Nashville, which I'm born and raised in, Washington, D.C., where I went away to college, and Los Angeles, where Fox Sports is based. I probably have spent a year or more of my life living in L.A. That's how much time I spent in uh, hotels there, traveling out there for uh, for weekends, for the college football, for all of the Fox Bet uh, live shows that we did. I probably, I like L.A. I loved living in West L.A. at that hotel. I never had a car. I could walk back and forth to the Fox lot, do as much television as I could. Um, and, uh, and otherwise, I'd just hop in Ubers, drive around L.A. I like the people there. I like the South Bay, which I spent a lot of time in, Manhattan Beach, all of that area. I really like that area. It's a jewel of America. It's beautiful. L.A., San Francisco, Portland, and Seattle, four of the most beautiful cities in America on the West Coast, all one-party rule states, one-party rule cities, they are falling apart because they don't provide basic security to the people who live there, and they don't punish uh, any of the uh, any of the criminals there and put them behind bars. And that ties in with, let me ask, have they named the two juvenile shooters yet in Kansas City? I'm having the crew look this up right now because I know there are press conferences that are going on right now. I talked about this on Thursday before I left. I said, we have two shooters that we know of in, uh, in Kansas City. The report is there were two juveniles. No details, no names that have come out so far. That's despite the fact we typically know 
everybody's name. Like, within a few minutes, it felt like of the Covington Catholic kids' uh, story going viral from the Lincoln Memorial, everybody knew that kid's name. And uh, everybody knew the Kyle Rittenhouse name, even though he was a minor involved in a shooting in, uh, in, in Wisconsin back in the day. Uh, and certainly we knew the name of the freaking nine-year-old kid who put the headdress on that Deadspin wrote about and said was racist. Somehow, I don't believe, at least when I sat down to start this show, they had not released the names of the two kids, uh, the juveniles that were involved in that shooting. So, so far as I know, and I'll let you know if I get an update right now, they have not released the names of those kids. And my point on this in general is I've, I've got a, a maybe somewhat of a radical idea. Um, and, in fact, I'm pulling up a story right now uh, on ESPN. It said Missouri prosecutors, this just came down, uh, said Tuesday two adults have been charged with murder in last week's shooting that killed one person, injured 22 others. New charges come after two juveniles were charged last week. Juveniles detained on gun-related resisting arrest charges. I'm reading the names right now. Uh, Dominic Miller and Lindell Mays, both charged with second-degree murder, two counts of armed criminal action, unlawful use of a weapon, each being held on a million-dollar bond. Both of them are currently hospitalized. Uh, they said that Mays pulled his handgun first, but it was Miller's weapon that allegedly struck and killed Lisa Lopez Galvin, a mother of two. Police said a dispute among several people led to the shooting. Uh, 22 people injured range in age from 8 to 47. Okay, so I don't know exactly who these two adults are because initially the report was uh, that this was two juveniles. My position on this is pretty clear, and, and I want everybody to listen. Uh, the story here to a large extent, vanished as soon as it became clear that this was not a mass shooting targeting random people, that it was a dispute. When juveniles have guns, a bevy of gun laws are being violated. Kansas City just set in 2023 an all-time record for murders in that city. They have a major issue with violent crime. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. The reality is this. When juveniles have guns and they engage in violent behavior with those guns, I think often the parents and guardians should be charged as well as the juveniles. Some of you out there are going to disagree. I've got three boys, 16, 13, and 9. If one of my boys, when they are a juvenile, takes a gun somewhere, and opens up fire on innocent people with it, it means that I have failed as a dad. If your son, it's almost always boys, if your son 
as a juvenile, has access to a weapon and opens fire with that weapon, it means that you as a parent or guardian have failed because that kid shouldn't have had access to a weapon. And if you allowed that to occur, you failed, period. And I think parents and guardians need to start being held accountable for actions that their juveniles undertake. If you have a weapon in your home and a kid is able to take it and take it to school or take it to the mall or take it to a sporting event, you failed. You failed in your duties as a parent. And I think we have to start holding parents and guardians accountable here. I also think we have to have real conversations about where violent crime happens. The reality is this. Black men, kids, starting at the age of 16 to about the age of 40, represent around, what, 3 or 4% of the overall American population? That's probably about right. And they commit over half of all murders. Almost all of their murder victims are black as well. The only reason this is a story is because it happened at the Kansas City Chiefs Parade. Over 180, I believe, people were murdered in Kansas City in 2023. You didn't hear about any of them. Because almost all the shootings happened between young black men and almost all of their victims were young black men and nobody talked about it. The only reason this is a story is because it happened at the Kansas City Chiefs Parade. If these two guys had started firing at each other, in some inner city street in Kansas City, none of you would have ever heard about it. Even the local Kansas City media probably wouldn't have covered it. The only reason this is a story is because it happened at the parade. And all the ESPN gun control people immediately came out and said, we have to have more gun control. The reality is this. The guns is not the issue. The issue is somehow we're getting people who are committing multiple felonies to have the guns in the first place. And I bet that when you look at the data, whoever these guys were firing shots at each other, I guarantee you it wasn't the first time that the Kansas City police had ever heard of these guys. I bet they had arrested them before. I bet they knew that they were violent. I bet they knew that they were threats. The numbers out of D.C. are that if you are arrested for a murder, you had previously been arrested 11 times. I talked about this last week. Think about how hard it is to be arrested 11 times. I've never been arrested. I've never been in the back of a police cruiser potentially about to be arrested. By and large, I hope I'm never arrested for the rest of my life. Most of you have never been arrested. Most of you have never been in the back of a police cruiser. It's relatively hard to get arrested. Think about how many crimes you have to be committing to get arrested 11 times. And why in the world are you being let back out on the street again and 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 again before you kill somebody? We got to really, if we want to have a real conversation about violent crime in America, we have to talk about who does it, how to stop it, and why we don't seem to care unless violent crime is committed oftentimes by a white guy.
Because that's the reality. If this had been a white shooter at Kansas City, we would have had two straight weeks talking about the white shooter. A couple of black guys shoot up a Kansas City Chiefs parade. It takes, what is it, a full week, basically, for their names even to come out. And we still don't know the full story here. Again, prosecute the kids as adults. If you're old enough to have a gun and open fire and hit 20 people, to the extent that that happened, the juvenile should be charged. And if you are, um, if you are able, if you are able to be in a position uh, where you are a parent or guardian and your minor child is possessions of uh, firearms, I think often you should be charged with a crime as well because you have failed in your role as a parent or a guardian. I don't think we just have to hold kids responsible as adults. I think we have to hold adults responsible as adults. And I say that as a father of three. If one of my minor children has a handgun and opens fire somewhere, I failed. Hope it never happens. God forbid it ever would. But if it did... I would have failed as a parent. I would have failed as a dad. And by the way, what you also see is almost all of these kids, sadly, don't have a father in their household. That's the real root cause. And I'm not taking shots at moms doing trying to do the jobs of both dads and moms because inevitably when I talk about this, single parents email or they reach out to me and they say, Clay, uh, what do you want me to do? I got a no good... Ex-husband, I know, got a no good guy, got me pregnant, bailed, and now I got to raise the kids on my own. Why are you blaming me? I'm not blaming you at all. Credit to you for trying to do the job of two parents. Men are failing boys in this country overwhelmingly. And I say that as a dad of three boys. Men are not doing their jobs. And you know what the data reflects? Young girls who are raised by single parents do far better than young boys who are raised by single moms. Not a lot of discussion about this. Why would that be? Well, the girls actually have a really strong role model. They've got a mom who's trying to do the job of a mom and a dad. They are less impacted by having only one parent home. Boys do awful, statistically, in one-parent households. Now, again, I'm not saying your son's going to do awful. I'm not saying you're doing anything wrong. Barack Obama and Bill Clinton were both raised by single moms, and they ended up president of the United States. There are exceptions to rules. I am not attacking you directly, okay? This is what happens on social media. You talk about large general trends, and people say, that's not me. Okay. Anecdotally, We can have success stories for single parents. Happens all the time. As a general rule, boys fail when dads are not in the home. And I see it now as a parent. If you're single and you're watching me right now and you don't have any kids, boy or girl, whatever you are, future mom, future dad, you don't know how much work having a kid is. I had no concept for what I was getting into 16 years ago when my first son was born. I had no idea how much work work it was. 
People are like, what do you do in your free time, Clay? I raise kids. It's the reality. Especially when they're young, you don't have much free time. If you're doing a good job of being a parent. To do your jobs, then you raise your kids. You got limited amount of free time. I can't imagine having done it by myself. And I was a lot more lenient on people raising multiple kids until I had one myself. People say, what have you changed your mind on? What has parenting changed your mind on? One, if I had had one accidental kid, there's nothing that would have ever occurred that I would have had a second accidental kid. My own experience. Two, um, two, this is where having gone through raising kids and going and seeing the ultrasounds and seeing the babies born, I think a lot different about abortion now than I did before. That's why I'm a first trimester abortion guy. People get fired up at me. I still think abortion should be safe, legal, and rare, but I think it should only be legal by and large in the first few weeks of a pregnancy. Draw the line where you want it to be. Having gone through three uh, pregnancies with my wife and seen three different babies, I think differently about life now than I did before. Before I had kids, I was like, I don't know. It's no big deal if you're a single parent. Having seen it, I'm like, my goodness, I don't know why anybody would try to raise any kid if they had a choice by themselves. And I certainly don't know how any parent, if you had one kid accidentally or one kid with a deadbeat dad, how in the world do you have another one? That's an experience that I've had that's changed my thought process in general. Uh, All right, a couple of different stories out there uh, that I also want to get to. Um, Saban Senate numbers. Did you guys see this? Uh, Nick Saban has the highest favorability rating of anybody in the state of Alabama. Uh, And this is not going to, uh, this is not going to surprise you. Uh, But I saw this. And I was like, oh, this is super interesting. Um, And let me make sure that I grab it. Nick Saban would win in a Senate race. He had, uh, uh, these numbers are pretty crazy. Um, Favorabilities in the state of Alabama. Nick Saban, 81% favorable. Charles Barkley, 62% favorable. Donald Trump, 58% favorable. Tommy Tuberville, 49% favorable. Tuberville will smoke any generic Democrat. The only person they could find in the whole state of Alabama that could potentially beat Tommy Tuberville head-to-head was Nick Saban if he were running as a Democrat. Uh, Tuberville, 25-point lead over Doug Jones, who was the former senator from Alabama, the Democrat. Generic Democrat, 17-point lead. Nick Saban, according to, this is YouGov, Nick Saban would beat Tuberville by three points. Now, I don't actually think Saban would beat Tuberville uh, because I think people, if if Saban ran as a Democrat, I think people would say, wait a minute, we're not going to give control of the Senate back to Democrats, even if we love Nick Saban. So I think this would actually flip, and I think Tuberville would beat him. But I do think it's fascinating that the only guy who could win a head-to-head 
against Tommy Tuberville, former Auburn coach, is former Alabama football coach Nick Saban. I also love the idea Nick Saban would lose his mind. I actually think Nick Saban, as a politician, sometimes I think that we wasted his talents. I think he'd be a very good president. I think he'd be a very good governor. I don't think he would suffer fools. I think he would focus on the things that matter. Uh, but I loved those numbers uh, when, uh, when I saw them come out. Uh, a couple of other stories. Um, Sienna Pole came out of New York. Men in New York would vote for Donald Trump to be president of the United States. Men are overwhelmingly going to vote for Trump in the Trump v. Biden matchup. We had Ryan Gurdusky on the radio show, and he shared a stat that I was, I was blown away by. He said the last time Democrats won male voters was 1964 Lyndon Baines Johnson was the last time that men voted for the Democrat Party. That is that was staggering to me. The last time men voters voted for the Democrat Party was 1964. If only men were voting, Trump would win all 50 states. If only women were voting, Biden would win all 50 states. Trump is up six. Let me make sure that I get the math right here. And if you look at the data, um, Trump is up. Let me make sure I get this right. According to the Siena poll, Trump is up for men 47 to 40. Sorry, he's up seven. Biden is up 54 to 29. 54 to 29 on women. Crazy. Um, but the other part of this that I thought was super fascinating is Jews in New York. That is Jewish voters in New York. There's around 2 million of them. More Jews in New York City than in any city in Israel. Crazy stat. Jewish voters in New York in the wake of October 7th, according to this Siena poll, would vote for Trump 53 to 44. Jewish voters plus nine for Trump. You would think this would make it harder to argue that, I mean, think about how crazy this is. You would think this would make it harder to argue that Trump is a Nazi anti-Semite. I don't think a lot of Jewish voters in New York would be supporting Donald Trump if they thought that he was Adolf Hitler. Just tossing it out there, that according to a Siena poll that is out right now. A couple of other things I need to get to, but we got another show starting in a couple of minutes. So I'm just going to close with this. I'll talk about some of the other topics that I had flagged tomorrow. Nikki Haley, I don't understand who is advising her or what her plan is at this point. She's going to lose Saturday in South Carolina, and she's going to lose by double digits, and she now is saying, I'm going to continue my campaign. I'm paraphrasing. I'm not going to kiss the ring. Who's advising her? The only thing that makes sense to me is that Nikki Haley is thinking about running as a third-party candidate to try and deliver 
the election to Joe Biden. Because otherwise, Democrats are funding her campaign now. There is no pathway to, for her to the nomination. Trump is up big on Joe Biden right now. I just want to know who is advising Nikki Haley. Because Ron DeSantis made the right choice. I love Ron DeSantis. I think he was a fabulous governor of Florida. I think he would make a good president. He went all in on Iowa. Trump won by 30 points. And DeSantis looked at the results and he said, there is no pathway to allow me to be elected president of the United States. And he dropped out. Why is Nikki Haley not making the same decision? Who is advising her? There is no pathway to allow Nikki Haley to be elected president of the United States. Even if something awful happened to Trump and suddenly he had a major health concern, this thing would go to the Republican National Convention, and I think DeSantis would actually be the nominee. We're going to be doing the show, by the way, from Milwaukee this summer, Clay and Buck from uh, Milwaukee for the Republican National Convention. I can't wait. Milwaukee in the summer is going to be fantastic. I was up there last summer. We had a fabulous time. Sold out the theater there. Huge crowd. We're the number one uh, radio show in all of Milwaukee. So I love all of you in Wisconsin. But I just don't understand who in the world is advising Nikki Haley right now. Uh, all right. I love all of you. Uh, the hot mic guys are up uh, in about four minutes here. Uh, DBAP, unless you need to SBAP, I'll be here Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Again, prize picks. Use my name, Clay. Use the code OUTKICK, whichever you want. Um, more on Jonas Adu and Dalton Connect points. Double win coming for you if you sign up with my code. Appreciate all of you. You can use my name, Clay, or you can use OUTKICK. Uh, again, I appreciate all of you. Uh, use that code Clay. Use that code OutKick. Get your bets in. $100. They'll give it back to you. This has been OutKick, the show.